0: Well, good morning, Cedarview. Welcome to our, our Sunday morning teaching time, Lessons for a Quarantine Church. This is part eight. This morning, how God brings deliverance and why. And it's, it's always such a special time when we gather around God's word. I haven't done this before, but if, if, if you didn't get a chance to watch this past Wednesday night's refresh, the Wednesday devotional at, at seven o'clock, Um, please check it out, because I I think it relates to so much of what we're doing right now, and I think it'll just bring an understanding of the priority of our collective times around God's Word. So this past Wednesday night on building devotion to the Word of God, check that one out. How God brings deliverance and why, the text is Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. The psalmist says, He brought me out, of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Is there, is there a better picture anywhere of a redeemed, delivered, joyful, satisfied life than that? I mean, you can, you can hear the song. You can just, you feel the joy, you feel the gratitude. The whole, the whole text just smacks of, of new life in this heart that's been so gloriously set free we all read and we think there, this, this is what experiencing God is supposed to look like. Our world would come to Christ more zealously, probably, if they thought less about stained glass windows and ceremonies and more and more about the proven testimony of the psalmist and those wonderful words. The text has this string of pictures in two verses. Each one builds on the previous. So picture follows picture, and every one of them adds to this new sense of freedom that the psalmist sings about. So let's look at those pictures. I have five or six that I want to just quickly go over. Point number one, the victim found himself, first of all, in a horrible pit of darkness and destruction. It's right there in that Second verse, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction. A pit of destruction. So we know this is not some light trouble. It, it looked like the end. That's, that's destruction. And now no one knows for sure. Scholars guess, but no one knows for certain exactly what kind of pit. David was describing in his own experience. Maybe, maybe a military disaster, I, but I doubt it. Maybe some season of prolonged darkness, depression, maybe illness. Maybe he penned these words at the loss of a loved one or felt his kingship, his rule threatened in some way. It's highly possible, maybe even probable, that David was describing the downward drag of some point in his life. There were several of them, we know. Some point in his life of sin and rebellion against God. I think that word destruction, it makes that interpretation quite likely. And if, and if David was describing his own uh, spiritual failure... Well, he picked a pretty good image in those verses, didn't he? It's this accurate description of the downward effect of sin on a life. Nothing nothing takes the bottom out from under your feet. Like the, the false promised freedom, pleasure, excitement, solution, security that sin always seems to offer. And yet it always leaves you lower than you were before. A pit. The walls Close in. That, that's what a pit does. You can't you can't see out. You don't have a sense of direction. Nothing eliminates your future plans like being in the mire at the bottom of a pit of destruction. It just cuts you off from outside help. Isn't it interesting that the very enticements the very temptations that promise to enlarge life are just, they're so graphically pictured here as hemming it in. We should pay attention to that. It's not the only time, you know, that the Bible uses this image of a pit to describe the personal disaster of seemingly innocently exercised self-will. Proverbs twenty six, twenty seven. He who digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A couple of pictures there. What an example of things not turning out as planned. I mean, who in his right mind digs a pit for himself or for herself? And and whatever reason a person might have for rolling a heavy stone to to build a wall, to seal a grave, to construct a dam, he certainly doesn't plan on having it flatten out his own life. That's the way it works. So there are dark pits of circumstance, pits of rebellion, pits of spiritual carelessness, pits formed by neglect or distraction. But whatever the source, and we don't know for sure, whatever the source in these words of David he just calls this pit that he's in, verse 2, I was in this pit of destruction. Maybe the reason isn't the important thing. He was there. Okay, point number two, to make matters even worse, the pit, as the psalmist describes it, it, it had no firm bottom to it. You see it in the second part of verse 2, he brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. We don't use those words much anymore. The pit was miry. It wasn't solid. So you can feel the wallowing in that word. I take that to mean there was no evident solution to the psalmist's condition. He couldn't couldn't find anything to work with. He couldn't find anything to stand on. He couldn't find anything to, to build hope on. Couldn't find anything that even looked remotely like a way out. A pit. And then a bottomless pit. Consider the significance of those simple words. It, it's, one thing to be, it's one thing to be trapped. It's, it's quite another thing to be sinking because it puts time limits on it. Uh, the pit Sometimes seems to just—it's not just that it's deep; it's that it's still pulling you into itself. There's a there's a momentum to it. So all of that is all of that is in that picture. Okay. If if help is going to come, well, it's going to have to come from the outside. There's no hope of self escape because it's miry clay and the psalmist emphasizes it beautifully and simply. He just says he was, I was brought out. Praise God. I was brought out of the miry clay. Point number three. From all of this bondage, the psalmist proclaims his deliverance. So, so, whether difficult circumstances of life or the sinful mires of our own making, the, the depth of the pit, the hold of the mud, it seemed, it seemed hopeless. It seemed like there should be no possible way of escape. And the psalmist says, deliverance came. Deliverance can be found from impossible situations. There's a way out when there doesn't seem to be any way out. That's the message. There's a way out. Are there sweeter words than the first five words of verse two? He brought me up and out. He brought me up and out. That's David's celebration. There's no doubt. There's no regret. He knows his... Life has taken a decided turn in a brand new direction. Somehow, somehow, at some point, God intervened. The psalmist has been lifted out. He brought me out. That's the joyful shock of grace when it comes into all of our lives. It comes to people who can't help themselves. Is that you? The guilt of your own accusing conscience? the facing of your own mortality, the knowledge that that somehow you're a created being and there's a creator. Grace comes to those who can't help themselves, who can't find their own way out. There's hope for the fearful, the discouraged, the bound, the frustrated, the guilty. People don't need to sink They may be floundering, but they don't need to sink. He brought me out. That's what he does. You can almost still hear the psalmist tell of how good it is to feel something solid under his feet. You can only tread water for so long. You wear yourself out. Finally, he has firm footing, something he's sure of. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sin. His resurrection from the dead. His second coming. The establishment of a new creation where he rules and reigns. Something you can bank on. Something you can hold on to. There's a fresh start. I can't do anything about the trials that come to all of us. And yes, people can mess up their own lives in dozens of sinful ways. Uh, I talk to people regularly who convince themselves they've fallen too deep, have slipped beyond hope, and this church exists to tell everyone who will listen that the experience of the psalmist can be their experience. There is one who can lift you up, who can pull you out and do so beyond your wildest imagination. There's deliverance from the pit. Four. In addition to deliverance, there's direction for life. I get that in the last part of that second verse of Psalm 40. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He's not just delivered from the pit. He's delivered from a stationary, inactive life. The old King James says, he established my goings. That's good. This is always God's plan. He delivers with a purpose. How God delivers and why. That's what we're studying. So so the delivered life, the one brought out of the pit, it's an active life. The Christian life, if it's going to be lived with power at all, it's it's more like riding a bike than riding an elevator. It, It takes engagement. It takes participation. If progress is going to be maintained, you have to pedal on a bike. It wasn't designed to stand still. And and that's a good picture of our life in the Lord and his presence in our hearts. Lives, Lives sink. Lives get gummed up when there's nothing great outside of self. Jesus said we had to lose our lives in his kingdom in order to find them. And so, so please see this life lesson. Deliverance, it's precious, but deliverance is maintained through devotion. If you try and just live without living for God, if you try and just enjoy without focusing on Christ, life sinks. There are, I suppose, all sorts of people who cry out for deliverance and who may graciously experience some strong measure of God's help on their behalf, who who forget that God delivers them to establish their going, to set their lives in a new direction. You, you, You can't live the Christian life on just good intentions. God wants to establish your life and mine in the execution of his will. Remember, it's wonderful to experience deliverance, but life is established in its goings. Point number five, the delivered life should be filled with praise. This is that, song that comes out in the third verse of Psalm 40. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. He put a new song in my mouth. He put it there. There can be there can be a grand purpose in the pits of difficult trying circumstance. There can be purpose in it. We know from the first verse of this Psalm that whatever David was going through. He didn't like it. We know that. We know he asked for deliverance and we know that the deliverance didn't come immediately. That's why he says, in addition to asking, it says he waited. And then he says he waited patiently. Do you see it in the first verse? Psalm 40, verse one, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. I've been thinking a lot about those words. In the pit, the miry clay. (laughs) It's tough waiting patiently. I waited patiently. There had to be a reason for this. I mean, how do you make a person treasure his deliverance? Don't answer too quickly. The correct answer isn't the first one that pops into your head. Does God make a person feel blessed merely by blessing him? Maybe, but I doubt it. In fact, that may well be the worst thing to make a person count his blessings. Immediate blessings usually land pretty lightly. Immediate blessings, frequent blessings, regular blessings, those ones land the most lightly On our minds and on our souls. Have you ever had to dive to the bottom of a deep swimming pool to get your car keys? I've had to do that. Have you ever been forced just to hold your breath, rummaging around to get those keys at the very bottom of the deep end of the pool until you thought your lungs were just going to burst and nothing will make you think about how wonderful breathing is, like not being able to for a prolonged period of time. Nothing makes you love air like having it cut off for a while. And I, I believe that's at least the purpose of some of the pit experiences of life. This present, this present isolation that we're in right now, and. And people are starting to think, oh, it's should be, just seeing extended family. Those friends we used to get together with all the time. That church fellowship that we used to have. where We could pray with one another, worship together. I think that's the purpose of some of the dark times we go through. They, they tend to make us long for and sing about and shout for freedom. That may be why we're not always delivered instantly the first time we call on the Lord from the pit of difficult circumstances. God wants to raise up a people who are not only a delivered people and a going people, but who sing about being delivered. Show me a Christian who no longer sings praises to God, and I'll show you a Christian who has forgotten his deliverance from a pit of lostness and hopelessness. He just forgot. It's a terrible thing when the words from this psalm are just an ancient text about someone else's deliverance, about someone else's experience of God. Our songs of praise should be more than just scripts Of other people's joy. And other people's God. Psalmist said. Delivered people. Have been given the oil of joy for. Mourning. He put a song in my heart. Last point. Number six. There's power and purpose in the song of the delivered. It's in the last part of that third verse. Many. Will see and fear, and will trust in the Lord. That's, it's, it's, uh, there's some strange uh, words linked together in that verse. See and, and fear. Make sure you see the connection of those words with the rest of the verse. So Psalm 40, verse 3, if you take it all together, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. And we'll trust in the Lord. It's not not this man's deliverance that people will see and hear. It's his song of deliverance. That's what they see and hear. Many people may or may not see the actual deliverance of this man at all. But they will see the joyful life. They will hear his praise-filled song. They will see him glorifying his deliverer. You can't hide this man. You can't silence him either. His his story isn't a miracle that people read about in some religious magazine. This is a living miracle. People see the transformed life. They see the joyful outlook. It's true, true. The miry clay, the pit, they had been left behind for all of the redeemed. Gloriously so. But the memory of those things isn't gone. So the memory of those things, they they drive, they motivate this song of praise, which turns into evangelism. Memory becomes a tool for witness. The other thing is, it says this psalmist's song caused others to fear the Lord. It's in that third verse. I wouldn't have put it in there. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear. How so? How will others come to fear God through this man's song of praise and joy? Well, I guess because they'll begin to take God seriously. They will realize that the God of this psalmist is not some distant fake deity But he is a God who works, a God of great wonders. And if God is this real and this powerful, then probably those who disregard him and put their trust in a dozen other fleeting, worthless material idols, they will be in big trouble. That's what people will see. That's what they'll learn. Paul said it long ago to the church at Philippi. Philippians 1, 27, 28 only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you're standing firm of one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. Don't be surprised. Not everyone's going to love your commitment to Jesus. Which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you and that too for God. Praise God for his redeeming power, lifting us out of the pit and the miry clay. We, We remember it, rejoice in it. There's a song that comes out of it that makes God vivid and real to the lives of others. That's how God delivers and that's why God delivers. Let's pray. We are constantly amazed. I am constantly amazed at discovering the richness of your word. There is always there is always more to be mined out of it. There's always new truth that that doesn't just inform but that it starts to shape the things we like to think about. It, it, it starts to change the things that bring us joy. It starts to shape our affections for Christ. We sing of your great deliverance. You brought me out of a pit of destruction, out of miry clay. You've done it for billions of brothers and sisters around the world. And for those who still look to you, Lord Jesus, come and reveal your grace, your forgiving, renewing, cleansing grace, and draw us deeply to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Tonight, 6.30, APD, Ask Pastor Don. If you have uh, questions, send it to APD at cdb.org. And tonight, we're going to be studying... The, question, the questioner asked about uh, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. You have these more mature, less mature believers and uh, the eating of meat that's been offered to idols. And he says it's a sin for these ones to eat. These ones, they understand that it's not a big deal. So does that just make sin a relative thing? Sin for some people, not for other people. Is that what Paul is saying? That's the question we're going to be studying tonight. God bless you, church. Love one another.